Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, episode number 138, where we expo- ex- I'm just on a cold streak. We explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world with the light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, president of Westminster Effects. Go buy stuff at westminstereffects.com. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. And you can join in the discussion of the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge. I'm joined by... Hey everybody, it's Bradley Cox, pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. And we are not joined by our occasional sexy boat captain and Augsburgian Christian, John Ross. He had some, I don't know, he had something going on and he couldn't make it. Um, And we've been talking for like the last 30 minutes and we're getting off to a later start than normal. Uh, So this will be a little bit of a shorter episode because we both have stuff to do. Uh, But since we've, we've been so heavy lately, like, uh, last week, which you weren't on with us, we talked about uh, moral failings and ministry and stuff mm, like that. Mm. So, with I don't know if you saw that post with Saiten Bruggenkate stepping down from public ministry, yeah, stuff like that. We've we've talked about a lot of heavy stuff, and it's like let's. Just, how about the doctrine of justification? That's a happy one. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, everybody can get down on justification by faith alone. So, like. From a pastoral perspective, like if somebody uh, after church is giving you the what must I do to be saved, what's the spiel that you're going to give them? Is it going to be, well, you need to make a decision to follow Jesus, uh, which we which we see often in the church world uh, for good or ill, uh, or, or is it pr- let's pray the sinner's prayer or walk down the aisle <laughs> or, or what? Where do you go? You know, it's a great question because I, I, I think that um, we have to acknowledge that all of those things that you just mentioned that are yeah. typically associated with conversion um, aren't in Scripture. Right. You know, pray this prayer after me or come down front to the altar, raise your hand when I count to three and uh, or check the box on some card that you want to receive Christ, make a decision for Jesus. None of that language is in Scripture. Mm-hmm. When the question's posed, um, you know, you, you think of Acts chapter 2, uh, Pentecost, and the crowd that's gathered there, yep. that after the, the, the event, the phenomena uh, that draws the crowd, Peter preaches, and he, he proclaims Christ, you know, that's what preaching is. I mean, he mm-hmm. proclaims this Jesus whom you crucified, yep. God has made both Lord and Christ. And then the question comes, what must we do or what shall we do? The the ironic part, at least ironic in modern church times, is he didn't have an invitation. He didn't <laughs> he didn't sing fifteen choruses of just as I am. I almost picture Peter saying that. Yeah. This Jesus God has made both Lord and Christ, and turning around and going, starting to walk back into the upper room. Yeah, <laughs> like just, just just total mic drop, and mm-hmm. then the people beg for, okay, well, what do we do? What shall we do? And Peter's response is none of the things you mentioned. It's simply this: repent mm-hmm. and be baptized, or we might say, repent and believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. 
I think if you take those two words, that that's the response. That, that's our response to the question, what shall we do? It's repent, change your thinking. Yep. Uh, and we could talk about, you know, all that, you know, is entailed with that, with the change of thinking, the turning from self, from mm-hmm. sin, and turning to Jesus and believe. You know, you could say... Um, Within that question, there's already some kind of belief. Oh, God really has made him Lord in Christ. Mm-hmm. Now what? It, it's it's kind of like a, an Isaiah 6 moment. Woe is me, for I am undone. Exactly. For I am a man of unclean lips. Exactly. Now what? Yeah. I, need, I need someone to make me clean. Now what? Right? Yeah, it, or, or you might even think of Mark chapter 4 when Jesus tells the parable of the sower. Um, a sower goes out to sow seed, and mm-hmm. the picture there is of a sower sowing seed indiscriminately. Yep. Some falls here, some falls there, some falls here, some falls there. And and the point, the basic point of the parable is seed indiscriminate seed sowing produces some fruit. Right. That's the basic point of the parable, right? If you were, if you just boil it down and not make a spiritual application, that's the point of the parable. Mm-hmm. After Jesus tells that parable, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And from the crowd, the disciples, and perhaps maybe a few others, in other words, a smaller group, yep. they press into Jesus and they say, we didn't understand that. Explain it to us. And Jesus' immediate response is, you've got the secret of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And yep. that is is startling because they don't understand the parable. <laughs> <laughs> but what did the question we have to ask is what did they understand? And this goes to your point about there's some belief that's already there when you ask the question, what must we do? Yep. The disciples pressed in because they realized even though we don't understand that parable Jesus just told, we know because it came out of his mouth it matters. Right. And so we want to understand. And that for Jesus was the secret of the kingdom right. is that they pressed in for more. And so when someone asked the question, what must I do to be saved? That to me is an indication, can be an indication that faith has been awakened yeah. in that person. God has done something, and we might go back to Ezekiel 36. Is it? I was literally about to go there, yeah. Yeah, the heart of stone has been taken out. Mm-hmm. The hard heart that says, like in the disciples' case, when the parable of the sower is told, Oh, that doesn't matter. We uh, okay, yeah. So what? Indiscriminate seed sowing produces some fruit. Well, that was a cool little story. That's that's the response of the hard heart, right? But the soft heart goes, wait a minute. That's Jesus. This matters. Or to hear the good news proclaimed, this Jesus God has made both Lord and Christ. I I need I need to understand that more. I I there's something that I'm lacking. I need and. That, that could be the indication that faith has been awakened. The stu- the hard heart has been taken out. The soft heart, the heart of flesh has been put in by and, God. Yeah, and you just said it. It's all God's doing. Yes. It is 100, even the faith part. Mm-hmm. Um, even with Jesus being baptized, he said to fulfill all righteousness. He even, since that was a baptism of repentance, he repented on behalf of his of his people, mm-hmm. right? And so Ezekiel is, it's not just talking to Israel. I've heard some people say that. Right. Um, it's, this is more of a, a long-term eschatological almost. Absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> maybe not even almost. Um, but 
redemptive history kind of thing. God is going to do the thing. Mm-hmm. And then that's it, it, echoed in Ephesians 2, uh, the grace and the faith, the faith in and of itself is a gift. Yes. Um, so you believe because God said so. <laughs> and so even though even though we would count uh, our Arminian friends as brothers, mm-hmm. uh, this is something where they're just inconsistent in applying uh, justification by faith alone, right? Because there's still like, if if you have to make a decision, that's well, that's not faith alone at that point, right? Yeah, and and it you know it's been said before. I've never pressed an Arminian on their own personal experience with salvation, and they remain steadfast on the ground that I made a decision for Christ. Yeah, you know, yeah. when they start to play the tape out, they realize God did something. And whether or not they're willing to acknowledge uh, God's sovereignty in that fully, mm-hmm. they, they still have to acknowledge God did something. And the, the language in Ezekiel 36 is so much God saying, I will, I will, I will, I will. Yeah. I'll take out the heart of stone. I will give you a new heart. Yep. I will cleanse you. I will put my spirit in you, and I will cause you to obey all my rules. Yep. God says, I'm going to do this. And that, if we... To get all the way to justification, Paul gives the example of uh, Abraham yep. in Romans when to talk about justification by faith. And the life of Abraham is fascinating to me because you what you see when you go back and you read his story in Genesis is you see God take this idol-worshiping nomad and incrementally bring him along to faith mm-hmm. to the point where you it, it is said of him, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Mm-hmm. And Paul uses that as the basis for which this faith that is the work of God, it's not a belief quotient that I muster up. Yep. It's not a... Uh, I was convinced, and I reasoned in my own mind and made a decision for Christ. No, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a working of the spirit to really bring something that's dead to life—a right. dead spirit, a dead heart—to life. You know, I've used the analogy before of salvation is not—we're all on this boat, and the ship is sinking, and. The Jesus is out in a rescue boat throwing out lifelines, and the ones who see that and actually take advantage of it and uh, are the ones who are saved, while those who reject his offer mm-hmm. uh, sink with the ship and die. That's not an accurate picture of salvation. Right. I think the more accurate pic- picture is the ship is sunk, it's on the bottom, we're all in a watery grave, mm-hmm. and Christ descends into that watery grave and awakens us to faith. And it's that faith in what Christ has done, uh, that gift of trust and belief and confidence in what Christ has done, that procures our justification so that we stand before God who is perfectly righteous, perfectly holy in every way, uh, and we're not just um, sort of let off the hook there, there actually is a debt that has been paid. There, yep. there, Christ is our propitiation, our wrath-exhausting sacrifice, and it's the belief that God gives us in that that justifies us before Him. And and this is this is one of the great things about theology is 
everything's connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you just connected sola fide to mm-hmm. penal substitutionary atonement. Mm-hmm. It's not cosmic child abuse. Mm-mm. One, he volunteered. Yep. That's right. <laughs> Two, uh, it is what the Bible teaches. It's not, uh, I've, I, when, um, who was it? When Corey Asbury uh, was trying to justify uh, reckless love, mm-hmm. um, one of the lines he put in was, I just love these people so much that I have to show them how much I love them. And then he gets crucified. How does that show anybody that you love them if it doesn't actually do anything? If mm-hmm. it's not, if it doesn't actually affect someone's standing before a holy God in their sin, the crucifixion doesn't mean anything. Yeah, that's right. Um, if if all it is is oh I'm I have my arms wide open, which is <laughs> just we should laugh at that honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's not just faith in God in general. It's not just believing. Mm-hmm. It's putting trust in the work that Jesus did on our behalf, mm-hmm. uh, both in, uh, to get to the more, uh, another theological term, active and passive obedience, mm-hmm. his active obedience. And he fulfilled the law for us. And then he absorbed the wrath of God for us. Mm-hmm. And, and then you can even get into limited atonement with that, where he did it for certain people. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> R.C. Sproul's talked about this. Piper's talked about this. Yep. John MacArthur's talked about this. I'm, I'm not saying anything new, but I think one of the most dangerous things that is um, proclaimed in the church world today is mm-hmm. this notion that God loves all people unconditionally, mm-hmm. that he loves unregenerate sinners unconditionally. And, and that's just, that doesn't even make sense. I mean, it, it, if, you, I think in order to say that and truly believe it, you have to be a universalist. Yeah. Because the, the, everybody believes it, that believes in the true gospel and is endeavoring to be biblical believes in some form of limited atonement. Not right. everybody's going to heaven. Right. Some people are going to end up in hell. And the question is why. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think, I think you, you've got to wrestle with what Paul talks about in, Romans five about original sin, you know, yeah. if, if in Adam all die in Christ all live, there's, mm-hmm. there's only two kinds of life. You're either in Adam or you're either in Christ, yep. you know, Adam sinned. And in some strange, mysterious way, when he sinned, we all did too. That's why mm-hmm. we're all by nature, children of wrath, not yep. children of a God who loves unconditionally and is begging people to choose him. We are children of <laughs> right. wrath, but God, being rich in mercy, you know, he, uh, according to First Peter, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope, right? So yep. it's, it's a, it, we, we have to see the love of God as being for his people, mm-hmm. for his children, expressed in the substitutionary atoning work of Christ, the wrath-exhausting work of Christ on the cross so that his people could be justified by faith, loved by him, not under wrath, but under grace, and all of that for his glory. And if you don't get that, none of this makes sense. Is that yeah. The whole thing is not about... God, you know, being so enamored with our awesomeness, but that he's enamored with his own awesomeness. And in doing so, Mm -hmm. he loves his people and justifies them by faith. This not of ourselves. It is the gift, gift of God. And even within that, 
to connect it to another doctrine, this preserves God's aseity. Mm -hmm. Nothing is ever added to him. Nope. He is completely self-sufficient. He doesn't learn anything. Mm-hmm. He uh, he exists outside of time mm-hmm. and space-time. Um, and so it's it's not that he could look down the corridors of time and elect those who choose him. Right. Because he's already there. Yeah. So that even violates God's self-sufficiency, his aseity, his sovereignty, all of that. Uh, not even getting into... Uh, like, who does he elect? It's just, well, God is eternal. <laughs> he has no beginning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He has no ending. Ergo, mm-hmm. the beginning for him is only humans really experience the beginning and ending of things Yeah, because we're temporal, yeah. right? Well, I, I guess I would venture to say that the majority of our listeners, um, in some way or another, are involved in worship um, in the local church setting. Um, And and this is why it bothers me so much when it's not that there aren't some appropriate songs that have the words me and my and I in it, right? Like there are some songs that I can really get along with that, it, at least in some sense, the the attention is on God via an awareness of what's happened for me mm-hmm. and now who I am in Christ. Like, like for example, the song, Who You Say I Am. Yeah, absolutely. I am who you say I am. So there's a lot of I in there, but there's a there's a maybe should we say an indirect reference to the fact that I had nothing to do with who I am right now in right. Christ. And it's, so it's all about who God says it is. Exactly. Yeah. And I, and that's, we wanted to do a happy episode today. So let's be happy about the fact that we get to worship a God who needs nothing, doesn't need anyone is completely self-sufficient um, isn't doing anything except for the sake of his own glory. And this God, who, what is man that you are mindful of him? Yep. Like we get to joyfully rel- relish that kind of humility before God in, 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 in the recognition that I did nothing. I contributed nothing. Including be, a decision. <laughs> yes, to, to, to be justified before him, and yet I am. Yeah. Yet I am. I am justified before Him, and I I don't stand in my own merit. You know this. We justification has so many um, layers to it. You know, we 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 we've been imputed the righteousness of Christ, and you know, yeah. I tell my church all the time. I'm like, when, you know, we're studying through the Gospel of Luke right now, and we really just on Sunday started to get into the 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 ministry of Jesus we 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 finished with his temptation on Sunday and now what we're going to get to do is watch him live out I mean in in his temptation we'll just start with that Jesus being fully God and fully man was tempted as a man yep and and I think a lot of people miss that he was he was not depending on his divinity to overcome the temptations the enemy threw at him. Mm-hmm. He was, as a man, depending on the Spirit and on the Word. Yep. And that is that is a little snapshot of Jesus 
living out the righteousness now that we now stand in. If we think about all the times that I've been tempted and and fallen and failed, mm-hmm. what do I do with that? That's here's here's justification by faith. I look to Jesus and I go, "You never failed. You always did yep. it right." And I stand in your righteousness not my own because mine is as filthy rags. And Mm -hmm. so when we read the Gospels, we get to watch Jesus living out the righteousness that we now stand in, uh, that we're now justified by, which is just, I don't don't know how, I, I would never want to diminish the sovereignty of God in my salvation because my joy goes down, not up when I do. Right, right. Well, let's leave it there and go to the Inquisition. And this is the Inquisition, where you contribute to the show. There's a weekly post in the Doxology Podcast Lounge, where you throw us questions. We don't prepare for it. and Well, that's pretty much the entirety of the show. <laughs> uh, but we don't prepare for it. We answer it popcorn style. And on top of that, this enters you to win a book uh, at the end of the month. So, as is tradition, we start with Brian Morris, who asks... Is it acceptable to integrate riffs from popular music into a worship service? And he he does qualify, assuming the goal is not to draw attention to oneself. So, not the Star Wars theme. (laughs) (laughs) And I would assume also not the Imperial March, (laughs) uh, etc. So I guess, like, if someone could work in the riff of Sweet Child of Mine... Or Jimi Hendrix's Voodoo Child. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I don't know how you could incorporate it without drawing attention to yourself. Is is kind of where I land. I don't. I don't know how. <laughs> One time, um, you know, I was in a church service. This was years and years ago. I might have even been in college, and um, I was. You know, everybody knows that I. I kind of came up in a Pentecostal charismatic background. Mm-hmm. And, and so this was one of those services that was kind of dragging on and on and on. And <laughs> I'm, I'm playing the background music on the keys. And, oh, no. And I got a little bored, and I started playing some Bruce Hornsby. You like to talk about Tupac. Tupac. Yep. I, yeah, I, I started playing a little Bruce Hornsby riff over there, and some of my fellow bandmates started grinning and laughing, <laughs> and uh, it was kind of fun. So I guess I have to preface my answer with saying I've done it before. But yeah. I would agree with you. I think... If you're going to do it, it needs to be subtle enough that it's not going to draw attention. I cannot imagine um, people not being distracted by the Sweet Child of Mine riff in the yeah. middle of you know whatever song you think you can include that in. So, and by the way, Slash is an overrated guitarist anyway. So um, <laughs> I just I just would be careful with it. Yeah, like I the the most I've done is. Um, and this is because on Sundays I'm a Xerox machine for the most part. Um, like I can't, I don't have the time to write a riff over a song that I have a week to prepare for. Um, so there was, uh, we were playing King of Kings and same key. We tagged the chorus of Oh, praise the name. Yep. And I just kept playing the chorus riff from King of Kings. One, I like it better Mm -hmm. Two, it made me remember fewer things that week mm-hmm. <laughs> and it worked nobody noticed um of course that's not like throwing in a 
Coheed and Cambria or Guns N' Roses or Led Zeppelin riff or mm. what have you. Um, I, I just don't know how I would even go about doing that in the first place. But that's me. I think some of those iconic riffs are just going to be distracting. Yeah, probably. Uh, let's move to Hunter Chapin. Why are so many modern evangelicals willing to promote God having a plan for their or someone else's life while denying his sovereignty in many other areas? Is this just cognitive dissonance or poor teaching? Poor teaching. Yeah. I actually had a conversation about this with my staff um, last week, I think, where we, we're we're putting together a new kind of membership on-ramp class mm -hmm. for res we're redoing all that and one of the things that we've we've talked about when it comes to being connected in the local church is the overemphasis at times in the church world on personal destiny yep personal purpose and discovering that and what i said as you know some of my folks are developing the content is that i don't want the emphasis to be on personal destiny Right, because I don't think that's biblical. You know, a, a mentor of mine once said, uh, "There is no in the kingdom. There's no personal destiny apart from corporate destiny." And so, I think the language that needs to be used is that when when you become part of a church, what you do have the opportunity to do uh, is corporately discover how the Lord has gifted you. Right. 1 Corinthians 12, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So what you get to discover is how the Holy Spirit wants to work in and through your life in order to benefit the whole. Exactly. And that, that to me, is not semantics. That's important biblical anchors for how we talk to people about coming in and finding their place, so to speak, mm -hmm. in the church. Uh, it, it even leads to, um, that kind of thinking leads to um, even like options paralysis. Should I marry this girl? I didn't I didn't get a funky totally. feeling from God. Totally. Uh, should I buy this house, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so uh, a book I would recommend for this is Kevin DeYoung's Just Do Something, a liberating approach to finding God's will. And then the extra subtitle is, or how to make a decision without dreams, visions, fleeces, impressions, open doors, random Bible verses, casting lots, liver shivers, writing in the sky, etc. <laughs> there you go. And, and it's, he even walks through a, uh, a situation where he was invited to speak at a conference and he on the on the phone, he, like he checked his calendar, it was free. He's like, "Yeah, okay, I'm good." And the guy was like, "Well, don't you want to pray about it?" And he's like, "No, <laughs> it makes sense for me. Let's yeah. go ahead and book it." Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, so some things are just like, "Hey, there's there's just wisdom in this mm. decision, right?" Well, I that's not to say don't pray, just don't pray about stuff. No. But but you get what I mean. Well, it, it, you know, Paul, Paul says in Romans 8 that the sons of God are led by the Spirit. That's right. never in question. I'm always being led by the Spirit. Yep. Sometimes I grieve him. Right. You know, sometimes I might even quench him. But ultimately, I trust in the sovereignty of God, and I, I need to trust that um, in all of my praying and all of my reading and all of my weighing the options before me, I am being led by the Spirit. And I think ultimately that's where we need to anchor. Yep. Good stuff. Uh, Ferenc Zindli from Hungary is trying to gauge our American minds. And he asks, NASCAR or monster trucks? Definitely NASCAR. 
<laughs> uh, I'm just not into the whole monster truck thing. My great uncle was a NASCAR owner. Oh, that's right. I think you've told me that before. Yeah. So I, I would definitely go with NASCAR. Yeah. Um, I'm not really a motorsports guy. I'm not really a car guy. I just wish somebody would invent teleportation already. Like, I don't care if my molecules get torn apart and reassembled. Yeah. Um, but I will say the drone of a NASCAR race makes for a really good Sunday afternoon nap. Yeah, that's the truth. Yeah, that's the truth. I don't watch NASCAR, but um, I, I used to pay more attention to it um, mm -hmm. back in the early 2000s. But Yeah, I have a hard time uh, watching a sport, if, if one wants to call it a sport. I know there's debate. Um, where your guy wins like one out of 10 times, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, like that's, it's tough enough for me with, with baseball where, you know, your team is going to lose a third of its games. Mm -hmm. Uh, like that's just a fact. And you, you're, you know, you're going to win a third, lose a third. The trick is what do you do with that other third? Yeah. And that, that can be tough. Like if, if we drop, if the Braves drop two out of three to the Phillies or something like that. I'm irritated a little bit at yeah, them, <laughs> uh, yeah. even if even if they go and sweep the Nationals in the next series, yeah. right? Uh, so uh, I, that's one of the reasons I couldn't get into NASCAR. Yeah. Um, next question from Justin Shepard, my old college roommate for a year. Uh, so hi to Justin. He asks, with the growing popularity and normalization of polygamy and polyamory, how much longer until every type of relationship is allowed except the biblical standard. So you uh, see, uh, I don't know if you've heard, uh, within the last couple of weeks, two cities in Massachusetts have started opening up for uh, polyamorous relationships being recognized, mm -hmm. which is also uh, where, uh, where homosexual marriage was first recognized, was in Massachusetts. Um, so... I don't think that the nuclear family is ever going to be done away with legally. I don't think they can. No, I mean, it's a great question. And, and um, you know, I don't know the answer to that um, in terms of like how long. I mean, you know, if you'd asked me five years ago, 10 years ago, mm. I would have said not in my lifetime. Yeah. But what the way things have escalated so much just in the last decade um, it causes me to question what it's going to look like as I get in, you know, I'm kind of, I'm in, I'm middle-aged. So I, I've crossed the great divide <laughs> and, and I'm into the la at least the last half of my life. Right. Um, what's going to happen in the next 20 years. I, I mean, it's, it, in some ways it's scary um, to think about when you, you think about like, I've got two kids that are, mm -hmm. are, are having to reckon with a world that I never even dreamed of yeah. in, in my childhood. And, and if I, they were much younger, then there would have been the option of drag queens reading stories to them. It's, like, it's, what? it's unbelievable. And, and I, I really kind of mourn what my kids are having to process and, and, and learn. Um, so yeah, I don't know, man, it's a, it's a great question. And um, I, I, <laughs> the nuclear family can't go away or we're going to be extinct before right. too long. But um, I don't know. It's, yeah, I mean, it's it, guys like Albert Moeller have been calling this since Obergefell. Mm -hmm. They said this is going to lead to polyamory. It's going to lead eventually to some kind of pedophilia type of thing. 
um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so this this really is like God running the reductio ad absurdum, <laughs> the reduction to absurdity on the culture. Uh, but as Doug Wilson has said, the good thing is stupidity is not a viable long-term strategy. It's, it's going to crumble. Yeah. So, I, you know, if I, if I got an audience with Doug Wilson, I'd love to ask him, like, how he interprets what's going on in the world in light of Romans 1. I mean, I think that the, um, the statement from Paul about God judicially handing over, giving oh, yeah. them over to a debased mind, calling evil good and good evil. I mean, that, that, What's happening in the world is not biblically foreign. It's not like the Bible right. doesn't speak to it. It does. Paul wrote about it 2,000 years ago in Romans 1, and and we're seeing that play out in our part of the world in a way that is very dramatic. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's the way Paul describes that. It's almost like there's a, there's a theater and there's a stage, and the disordered heart worship of man is getting dramatized. Mm-hmm dramatize in of all things sexuality right right that's how he when he talks about homosexuality in romans one that's what he's saying is that it is the most i think that's why he gives that example Mm -hmm. because it is the most vivid display of the disordered heart worship that goes on in mankind in general and we're seeing that play out so how much longer before i mean I don't know, but it it's Romans one is playing out before our eyes. Oh yeah. Yep. And last question from Ryan Eigel, who, by the way, what is it? 20? I don't remember. Just look up Ryan Eigel's stuff on Facebook. He does Bible rebindings and they're really cool. Awesome. Um, I'm planning on getting, getting one done. Um, He asks the first question of the Heidelberg catechism. What's your only hope and comfort? What is your only comfort in life and in death? Uh, so in that on a happy note, right? Mm. Mm. So the first line is that I'm not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ. Just go read the Heidelberg catechism. Yep. It's also the first answer for the new city catechism. Yep. Hey, let's bring that back. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Putting, I'm putting the pastor on the spot. Yep. <laughs> yep. 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 <laughs> COVID-19 got us off that rhythm, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. One day. And one day we'll be back at one service. One day. Mm. One day. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> oh, God, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I know I know. Uh, playing three songs in two services is tiring enough for me, but I'm sure preaching two sermons is can just be brutal for you. It's tiring, but there's some things I like about it. Yeah, because there there are tweaks that you'll make between services, definitely. Well, and I also enjoy, you know, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a scripted preacher teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do write a manuscript, but it's always interesting to me how the sermon um, kind of takes a life of its own in each service, based on I think the people that are there. Yeah, and I'm trying to be sensitive to what the Spirit's doing in each service, not just giving a regurgitation of what I did in the first service. Right. And and that's always kind of fun for me, mm. is to just be sensitive to that in the moment. And maybe, and maybe it's nothing more than just this gets emphasized a little bit more yeah, and maybe in a different way than it did in the first, or I find myself skipping certain things and, and spending more time on others. And, and, and I, I really believe I'm 
talk about being led by the Spirit. I believe I'm being led by the Spirit in those moments. Yeah. And um, that that's a, that there's something that happens in the moment of preaching. And so for those reasons and a few others, I, I kind of like having two services, but it is tight. Mm, good stuff. All right. Well, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. That's my sign off this week. Deal with it.